0: Hey guys, Griffin here in the edit suite. Just wanted to warn you, we did have a bit of an audio issue with this week's episode, so sometimes the voices will come through a little choppy. We get sort of cut off at the end of sentences at points, but it's still pretty clear to understand what we're saying. So we hope you can still get the gist and enjoy this week's episode. we got a special guest, so thank you very much. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy. You know, the idea that you can have a Baseball Hall of Fame without the all-time hits leader is insane. The most basic thing of all of baseball, getting a hit, the fact that the player who was the best at that in all of history, Pete Rose, is not in the Hall of Fame, is a disservice to baseball fans everywhere, and it underplays the importance of Cooperstown. Cooperstown is one of my favorite places in the entire world. I've been there three times, I believe. I've had the time of my life... Every single trip. It's a great place to visit. Highly recommend it for any baseball fan. Hot take. But the fact that Pete Rose is not in there is something that needs to be rectified immediately. The man received a lifetime ban from participating in Major League Baseball because he gambled on games as a manager. That's all fine. He shouldn't be allowed to participate in Major League Baseball ever again. I agree. But to not be able to have a plaque hanging in the Baseball Hall of Fame for that reason is not just. Just because you're banned from Major League Baseball, it's not the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. There aren't only players who participated in Major League Baseball in there. So the idea that a lifetime ban from Major League Baseball results in this museum and this Hall of Fame not being able to acknowledge your... uh, impact on the game is not right in my mind they are not connected and the solution for Pete Rose is obvious induct him into the hall of fame and then on his plaque mention that he received a lifetime ban from major league baseball for gambling on games while serving as manager of the Cincinnati Reds it's not hard it's an easy solution much easier than a steroid player get him in it's long long past due and
1: speaking of all-time hits here's another episode of high floor low sea light <laughs> hello and welcome to another fabulous episode of high floor low ceiling i wish that this was a video podcast so you could see someone in this room in this very room playing some sick riffs now i'll i'll, I'll, I'll introduce you in a moment but have you ever heard our theme song do you know what it sounds like <laughs> i'm asking you <laughs> is that directed us anonymous, me? anonymous yeah, yeah. I, I i have heard our theme song yeah. I've, I've heard the theme song and what's your, is your favorite part, would you say the guitar?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely up there. And <laughs> part of the reason for that is because of its uh, uh, compatibility with the air instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: for for those of you who are not watching the podcast, which is everyone, our mystery guest who has not yet been introduced, was playing air guitar through the entire theme song. You're uh, shredding, quite honestly. Yeah.
1: Um, but yes, welcome to High Floor, Low Ceiling. And I'll introduce you in just a second, guest. <laughs> uh, I want to wish a happy Thanksgiving, Griffin. To our American audience. I'm so glad you said that, Chris. Uh, You know,
0: at least 7% of our listeners are from the United States, so a very happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I hope you guys are all enjoying the day with your family, your friends, having some great food, watching some football, having the proper Midwest
1: Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, we had some talk about gourds on last week's episode, so go check that out if you want some more intel about gourd production. It was surprisingly yeah, some, informative some thanksgiving content uh, yeah i
0: can't imagine a better Mid-Wing midwest thanksgiving though you've got the football like we said you've got the great mm-hmm. food jfk jr coming back any day so oh, uh, goodness. yeah this is this is the time this is the time to be a bin- midwesterner in the united states
1: yeah absolutely and griffin with american thanksgiving uh descending upon us today that i, I think you know where i'm going with this it's almost time for your personal favorite, most wonderful time of the year.
0: Yeah, I mean, American Thanksgiving, I think, is, even for us Canadians, sort of, in my mind, the, the start of Christmas season after that, because a lot of our culture is influenced by our big neighbors to the south. And, yeah, let's get it going, baby. Let's get the
2: Christmas in the air.
1: Guess you, were you leaning forward because you had a point, or were you just stretching? And we'll introduce you in a moment.
2: Uh, no, I was just uh, just maintaining movement. Part of my reg- All
1: right, keeping limber. That's great, because we will bring you on in just one second. Uh, Griffin, last night, I, I think I broke the Christmas seal a little. Watched the film Silent Night, Deadly Night. Now, of course, oh, famously, God. yeah, exactly. You are not a horror movie You fan. would ruin something as magical as Christmas <laughs> with, like, murder. I believe the director, ooh, and can I pull it out I don't think I can but of course the director of Silent Night Deadly Night I wanted to say Steve Cloves but he directed a different movie I was looking into last night you know I think that our listeners deserve this intel Clem yeah, I mean guest <laughs> are you pulling up that information I can vamp the only
0: it. acceptable Christmas movie with murder in it is Tim Allen's The Santa Claus of course Santa's th- murder, famous. Yes. not even a murder it's an accidental death it's a suicide
1: by cop type situation <laughs> Whoa, Uh, 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 ho, 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 you could even say. But yeah, Silent Night, Deadly Night, it's about uh, a young boy whose family is killed by a man in a Santa suit, which causes him to experience post-traumatic stress. Uh, And then one day, several years after this incident, he is forced to dress up as Santa for uh, the store he works at. And of course, as you can imagine, this affects him deeply and he snaps and goes on a killing spree. And do you think you'd like that movie, Griffin?
0: No, I do not. Sounds both magical and jolly, which are the things that everyone loves about Christmas time. Yeah. but uh,
1: I also watched the film uh, recently, Love Hard. Have you seen that one? It's a recent release on Netflix. Are you into the? Uh, oh, the is that
0: the the Hallmarky rom com one with Jimmy O Yang? Yeah,
1: Jimmy O Yang and Nina Dobrev.
0: Yeah, uh, I saw. I might check that one out. That one seemed uh, enjoyably
1: inoffensive. Yeah, it could be up your alley. Now, guest, do you have some information for us about Steve Cloves?
2: Uh, yeah, well, I have information on who directed Silent Night, yeah. Deadly Night. Hit me with that. Chuck E. Cheese. Or, sorry, <laughs> Charles E. Sellier Jr. Charles E. Fromage. <laughs> uh, Charles we... Entertainment Fromage is his uh, government name.
1: Sure. Uh, oh, yes, of course. Steve Cloves was a writer on all but one of the Harry Potter films, and he allegedly is going to be directing uh, directing something weird coming up. Which, oh. Har-
2: which Harry Potter film was he a writer
1: on? Order of the Phoenix. Oh, actually, oh, that's, right. writing that's was my a favorite. weird one to take a mm-hmm. break mm-hmm. on. know five out of eight, that's the one you step away from? I know. He also has a co-writing credit on Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, the upcoming film. Oh, well, maybe of, he can save it. Yeah, famously cool person, J.K. Rowling. She has soul screenplay credit on the first two Fantastic Beasts movies. Isn't that strange? That is strange. Especially. Soul is
2: never something I associate with that person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking more of uh, my friend's uh, tw- my friend twenty three from the Pixar film Soul. Mm. Hey, hypothetically, <laughs> Chris, mm, what's up?
0: Is this a sports podcast? Should we? Uh... I
1: guess so. I did want to bring up the fact that they're apparently going to be making five Fantastic Beasts movies and the third one isn't even out yet, and Johnny Depp was in two of them. Uh, But that's all sort of a role Is Johnny Depp not going to be in the other I believe his role has been recast, Griffin. (laughs) Oh, well, that's not good into all that. Yeah, I'm sure J.K. Rowling would have some things to say about that. But you know what, Griffin? This is a sports podcast, but even more than that, it's a podcast where we welcome on people who like to talk about sports. And today we have done just that. We have another guest, Griffin. This is our third, but also our first guest in a manner of speaking, and that's going to become very clear what I'm talking about as soon as I introduce this person. Which will happen in just a second. Exactly. He was previously in a cave. He he was sitting here talking with us for approximately one hour before we started recording this podcast. Uh, I implored everyone to save it for the pod, but it did not stop the three of us from chatting for about 45 minutes beforehand. Thank God we didn't save it for the pod. We've already spent eight minutes talking about Silent Night, <laughs> Deadly Night. Can you imagine if we hadn't saved that 45 minutes? Uh, There's a part in Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 where there's a guy who's like carrying his trash out and and the killer goes, garbage day. And he just shoots the guy. (laughs) It's a really great moment. Uh, (laughs) Sounds creative. Big shout out to Charles E. Cheese on that one. I don't believe he directed the second one. Uh, Oh, wait, hold on. I just have to share one more thing about Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, which is that it's like an 85 minute movie and 40 minutes of it are just footage from the first movie they (laughs) re-edited into like a new movie that's like flat because it's like it's about the other guy's little brother and so it's all like flashbacks and so Mm. it contains like 40 minutes of footage from the first silent night deadly night just like this intro contains 40 minutes of discussion about not sports precisely he is out of his cave he is into your ears the great clem mcconnell is joining us today hello clem
2: Hi, thanks so much for having me with a turned-on mic. Yeah. I really appreciate it. This feels great. Yeah, There's... much
1: like your mic, we've all been turned on to your great musings. Uh, sorry I interrupted you, go ahead. I
2: couldn't have put it better myself. i aim to turn people on to, once again, my musings. And um, also big-time big, big time commenter, I love to chime in mm-hmm. uh, and just do whatever I can to help out the pod in any way.
1: Yeah, you are uh, a utility infielder, sort of, in the podcasting world. Uh, and that brings us to our I would say our main topic of discussion today Clem. You are the host of The Warm Grill, a baseball podcast. Uh, there's quite a bit of baseball hips and happenings going on. How are you just in general? How are you feeling about uh how, how baseball has been proceeding over the last few weeks. Are you, are you excited about what's been going on?
2: Oh, it's hard not to be excited about a sport whose existential crisis <laughs> is looming over every single one of its fans and uh, whether or not, you know, it continues to actually happen um, it's kind of ambiguous right now and I think everybody that's a big fan of baseball is thinking, wow, I hope I, 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 I don't know, I really feel like the, the labor <laughs> dispute is a lot to be excited about. Everyone um, loves a good union billionaire Conflict? Yes, the billionaires versus millionaire uh, might be the only time I'm probably pro-millionaire. Yeah, I've heard of
1: Joe Millionaire, but this is ridiculous.
2: Oh, is that the um, the show?
1: (laughs) Yeah, the Fox reality show where someone was going to marry a millionaire, and the guy ended up having a net worth of like five hundred fifty thousand or something. Uh, But oh, is that because Obama took half of it? (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Jeff Kent. (laughs) Great reference to one of our one of our many pre-podcast discussions about Jeff Kent's time on the on Survivor Philippines season twenty-five. Wow. was eventually won by denise stapley who is perhaps best remembered now for in uh season 40 winners at war taking sandra diaz the two-time winner sandra diaz twine taking her immunity idol and then using it to vote her out a great play by denise but <laughs> best remembered chris, chris
0: is a big survivor fan for all those listeners who do not know chris personally
2: the show to be fair i'm a survivor fan just in life and the song by Destiny's Child. Ah, how could you forget? I'm a survivor. That one? That's exactly That's how exactly it goes. the one. <laughs> call me Beyonce. A perfect rendition. Uh,
1: call me Michelle Williams, but not that one, the actor. Clem, you were alluding to just moments ago before we took a sharp right turn to what seems to be an impending lockout in Major League Baseball. It seems like the general consensus from what I was uh, reading is that it's not expected to, a deal is not expected to get done by the December 1st deadline. So, I was sort of curious about your perspective on this because it's something that you pay closer attention to than either Griffin or I. So, it seems like, broadly speaking, that like sports CBAs and lockout and deals like that, they've been fairly smooth sailing over the last, you know, five years or so. Uh, the NBA and the NFL both renegotiated CBAs fairly recently. The NHL last year agreed to extend the CBA that it had already signed. Uh, for a few years. is Do you see anything that makes baseball different in terms of like not being able to get a deal done? Obviously, I think the timing coming off of COVID is a factor and uh, revenues and things of that nature. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's arguably one of the worst times for this to kind of happen just in terms of uh, already positioning the players in kind of a vulnerable position asked to last year play for less than even what would have been their ratio of pay, as it were, like kind of getting paid for the two months of work that they were kind of asked to be doing. That, you know, as far as the owners were concerned, too much to ask for. Um, The other thing about it is, I think that the biggest distinction between uh, the NHL and NFL is, It's a little bit more of an international sport, so there are different ways of how to obtain player rights, and I'm putting those in quotes for those of you that aren't watching the pod, which is an impossibility from Mm -hmm. my understanding. Um, So that also causes a little bit more, or I I don't know, a little bit more complexity to this.
1: Right. Sorry, Griffin is furiously (laughs) texting me. about how This
2: is like the second
0: episode out of the last three where you've implied that I'm not a baseball
1: fan. I'm sorry, Griffin. I apologize. I don't mean to impugn your baseball knowledge. Please give your opinions on the matter. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, I think player salaries and things of that nature are a big point of contention in this uh, CBA negotiation. Things like players being able to go into free agency, which I think Clem was sort of alluding to, talking about rights and things like that. Like the ability of a team to control a player is much stronger uh, in in MLB than it is in other sports, it feels like.
0: Yeah, I feel like player freedom in general is low and this will result in a lockout but it almost feels like sort of a strike by lockout players i don't think should be happy with the way that uh management teams in the last few years have colluded to not sign bigger guys until later in the Offseason to try and drive contracts down. Obviously, the horrific treatment of minor league players. Uh, Player empowerment is something that has come through so, so strong recently, especially in the NBA. And I think Major League Baseball players should be looking at that as a why not us? Obviously, the NBA, a bigger cultural footprint than Major League Baseball right now. But I think that players need to step up and fight because the way Major League Baseball players get treated right now, people like to point at the salaries for the biggest stars and say oh how can they be mistreated they're signing 200 million dollar deals which fine but the average major league player is getting screwed by management and i think players need to step up and i hope that they come out of this with a lot of the things that they're negotiating for yeah
1: i think that's a great point in terms of uh, like i think th- there is a tendency to look at those big contracts especially because like in baseball you have like 10-year deals which you don't really see well you certainly don't see in the nba don't really see in the NFL with some very rare exceptions maybe a little more is is it 8 years that's the maximum time in the NHL? Yeah, I'm not sure if the NHL has a hard cap but you don't see many deals go beyond 8 years. Yeah. So like you do see, you know, when you see 10 years, $300 million, that just looks like a huge number. And I think that can sort of take people off guard. But like when I was sort of reading up on this and I saw that the average salary in the league is on the decline, that really surprised me because it does feel like, you know, that those top, top end contracts have been booming. But then Clem, you have people like, you know, I think, I think Manny Machado is maybe like the poster boy for the sort of way that free agency can sort of stagnate in baseball compared to other sports, right? Yeah, well,
2: I mean, I think the biggest, I guess the biggest difference between uh, the MLB oh. other leagues too is like you have six full years of control and three of those are pre-arbitration. Which, although in those years there are sorry, just to back take one step back from the Manny Machado situation, but you're making five roughly five hundred fifty thousand dollars. And for the All Stars, they will give like a ten to twenty thousand dollar pay raise <laughs> while producing some of the most valuable seasons in MLB history, uh, which is just a like hey remember this twenty thousand dollars when we get to arbitration or free agency or because we're any- taking. It out once, yeah, you, once yeah, we exactly. get there, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what you mean in terms of like. Well, it the the biggest contract on any given off season is kind of dictates the way that the rest of the market goes, and I think that that's what you're talking about when you're suggesting that it gets stagnant. It's not as exciting as the NHL or NBA off seasons, which it's like day one, and it's like, oh, you guys must have had the paperwork going before this actual yeah. date because there is no way you reach these two hundred million dollar contracts in four hours like that just feels like an insane prospect i don't i can't you know make a decent cup of coffee in four hours but <laughs> that might be something oh that's 100 on me i'm not saying that that's like a normal <laughs> that's not just standard <laughs> that's crazy a french press is super easy there's so many youtube videos that take upwards of like 11 minutes to watch how to use one of those but still i struggle and i think um so i mean i'm not looking for a more, a more exciting off season i think i'm like and i'm not suggesting that that's what you're saying but i am looking for uh, players who don't meet the Manny Machado heights or the, mm-hmm. um, aren't given the opportunities like someone like Fernando Tatis Jr. or who will probably talk about Wander Franco in a little bit, uh, these, you know, massive $100 million uh, contract extension. But the guys who are utility infielders Or are serviceable uh, players, you know, maybe that have seven year careers, they never actually reach free agency sometimes because they manipulate their service time in the first season. And then by the time they actually get out of uh, arbitration deals, you know, it's too late and nobody wants to pay for what they might contribute in the future because they're already 33 years old and their best years are behind them. And their contracts and how much they were getting paid was based on how much they. Just pure precedence and Mm. the precedence for arbitration is um, steeped in suppression, salary suppression. So, yeah, there is going to have to be a change uh, at the major league level in terms of how young players who are having the most productive seasons uh, can get paid what they're actually worth before they reach free agency, or changing when free agency happens, and also on the minor league level, just in terms of actually involving them in the union. Yeah, (laughs) thank you (laughs) for— I I don't know if I actually got to the Manny Machado part. No,
1: I I uh, I, was—my just—my little part of me like, I'm not really sure what you're talking about there, but I will say something smart, so— Well,
2: no, 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 I mean, I just meant the stagnant part, where it's like, I mean, he did get a contract. Yeah, that's true. His wasn't stagnant, but—and he he got— paid a lot of money um the the, the thing that always gets brought up with free agents right now is even the best best players who enter the league at 21 maybe 20 sometimes um are still only reaching free agency by the time they're 27 28 years old and at that point they've got based on like the most recent analytics three years of very productive time and then another four years of you know and they've already given up six years of very productive time and didn't weren't paid what they deserve to be paid for it and that's the biggest issue I think right
1: yeah now. it's really like a super sizing of like we talk a lot of in the NBA about like rookie contracts and how great they are like for the team and how, the value that you can get out of them but then like it feels like in baseball that it's like those are the best years often and you're also getting that crazy discount and then yeah it just it creates its own set of issues with like players who sort of outlive their usefulness and are you know getting paid huge amounts and have tons of contract left but aren't producing and that creates its own problems. So a lot of uh A lot of things going on in there uh you alluded to the wander franco extension which is something else that i wanted to touch on quickly Uh, 11 years 185 million dollars there are some incentives and options in there but that's the the essence of the deal i think what's interesting to me is that with a with with an mlb extension it's not just that you know you have like your four-year rookie contract and then you're adding x number of years onto it you're essentially replacing the deal that they already had, right? Like, you're, you're getting rid of those rookie years and those arbitration years. And so, like, it almost still feels like you're getting a bargain to some degree. Is that fair to say? That, like, like you look at this contract where it's, like, under $20 million a year, we've seen, you know, Fernando Tatis and Acuna get similar deals, like, or, you know, roughly similar deals. It, does it still feel like they're you know, getting a break to some degree in terms of this is a guy who you would probably imagine is going to be a top, you know, 10 player or however you want to project him, but only paying like under 20 million for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, if he turns out to be the player that he ought to based on projections and based on even the 70 games that he's, already played or whatever exactly it is um this could turn out to be a great deal it could also turn out that you know he takes a weird hop and you know his cheekbone caves in and his batting helmet never hits (laughs) and he never is the same player in three years from now 185 million dollars is still a lot of money um it's absolutely the the team would not be paying this much money for this player if they they were absolutely worth it um I think you are seeing these happen more often because they know the reality is if someone like Wander Franco, who would have another three years of pre-arb and then another three years of arbitration, could in his arbitration years realistically probably make $50 million, I think. And so $185 million for what could be two or three MVPs. And that's that's a crazy projection. I'm not saying that he'll necessarily win two or three MVPs, uh, but they could be getting just an absolute just such an unbelievable year a deal yeah and
0: it's 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 such a Rays move, I think, to get this kind of shrewd, team-friendly deal. Uh, obviously, the Rays well-known for shipping out a lot of guys when they can't afford to pay them, so they, if you see that coming, get him now, take a gamble, because yeah, you might end up paying him for nothing. Sometimes guys don't pan out. Wonder Franco certainly seems like he will, but like you said, freak injury, sometimes he doesn't. But they're gambling right now that he will be producing those MVP years, and they'll do what they have to do for a team with a small budget like that, and getting him now. So I think it's a brilliant move on their part.
2: Oh, totally. It's a great move on part part. It's just a tricky thing to truly evaluate until it's kind of said and done. I mean, is it an underpay? Absolutely. If it gets to the level that we expect, it's hard to... Anytime you like... (laughs) I don't want to come across as defending the organ. not an organization I want to defend. I think that they're creative and interesting and getting edges in places that other teams just aren't or haven't been looked at. Um, But it's a, it's still a lot of money. It's still a, like a ton of money for someone who has up to this point, you know. Played half a season. Played half a season and not hit a ton of home runs, but still put up in an insane amount of value. I'm just saying it's a, uh, it is a wild it's a wild deal, and I'm—I have no idea how to feel about it because it's been two days in zero baseball. Yeah,
1: they really—they ought to change their name to the Tampa Bay Rays at this point. No almost, kidding, you know? R A I S E. Yeah. Um, but I—I I did. You sort of alluded to this idea that. Um,
2: a lot of illusions happening on this podcast.
1: I, there are a few words that I use a lot. Precisely. They're I called say anchor
2: words in the biz, I believe.
1: So true, King. And shout out to Anchor, who hosts our podcast. We want oh, to yeah. give, give some love to them. Griffin loves checking their stats. Uh, but Griffin, I wanted to sort of touch on this idea that we've seen a lot of this lately. Um, obviously, in the NBA, the Supermax rookie extension sort of is the extent of what you can give to a young player. But uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, Tatis, Acuna, now Franco, and then in the NBA or the NFL Patrick Mahomes I think is the best sort of point of comparison there where you're seeing these huge contracts get handed out like when you do have a player that teams feel pretty confident is that sort of franchise player they're now willing to shell out these like long and large contract like do you think that there has been a change that has brought this about or is it just sort of a change in logic in front offices or something like that?
0: Well, yeah, I think the changes that players are producing at younger ages than they mm. ever have before, especially in baseball, like we see all these young superstars, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Ronald Acuna Jr., Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, And so guys, teams want to get that locked up in their prime years. The prime years are shifting younger and younger, but as they do, like players will still play well as they get older <laughs> as well. So guys are starting out Young, and basically, you're getting more years of them than you ever have before. So, I think that's the main difference there is that uh, Major League Baseball management is recognizing that these generational talents can be ready when they're young and they are accelerating them in and then but they don't want to lose out on them heading into their prime years of like late 20s early 30s as well so they want to get them locked up for those and they want to have their cake and eat it too basically yeah
1: i think that uh i think that that sort of change in the player development curve is like such a huge thing in sports like i would love to see like someone take like a holistic look at that because it feels like like you said like Players are getting better younger and then staying good for longer. Um, Speaking of players who are old that are still good, Steven Matz. Uh, recently announced to be signing as a free agent. There was some drama today uh, with Steve Cohen, where he was tweeting about how he wanted Steven Matz on the Mets, and Steven Matz had maybe given him some kind of assurance that he was coming to the Mets. Ended up going to the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Four years, 44 million. Obviously, uh, he had a solid year last year with the Blue Jays. This is a gut reaction. You know, I think you're, you're you, maybe you're more interested in Steve Cohen than you are in Steven Matz, but gut reaction, does this feel like an overpay? Is it an underpay? Is it fair?
2: Uh, I, my gut reaction is it's maybe too much overall money. I don't really care about years as much as a lot of people do. $44 million is, feels like a lot to me for Steven Matz. I'm really happy that he was able to cash in on what was, I think, basically a career year for him. He pitched really, really well. I mean, he, like, he really was an unsung hero for the Blue Jays last year. Like, just a solid pitcher. I don't know. Um, I'm... Happy for him as a player, I don't, I think that there are so many mid-tier arms on the free agent market for the Blue Jays. I know that this isn't a Blue Jays podcast per se, but. But you wrote an article about this, right? Yeah, well, and I, that's so crazy you'd bring that up organically like that. But yeah, I think that there are other places you can get this type of value and maybe more interesting candidates in a lot of ways. I don't wanna spoil the article, so I won't go into that. But uh, my gut reaction, happy for Mats, don't hate that uh, other teams didn't want to spend $44 million on Right.
1: And you can read that article over on Jay's Journal. Is that correct?
2: Absolutely. Fansided. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So everyone go check that out if you are interested uh, in that general concept. Some mid-tier arms <laughs> that Clem was getting. I believe yeah, at least
2: a... two of the pitchers have been gobbled up in free agency <laughs> since the publication of that article. It, still.
1: These things happen. Free agency. It's it's a short timeline. Uh, but Griffin, I sent along this uh, tweet related to Steve Cohen and his, the whole situation with Stephen Matz, uh, Steve Cohen, of course, basically tweeted that he was upset. He seemed to be in his feelings. You referred to him as messy. What do you think about uh, this sort of on on this very online owner type uh, type situation?
0: Yeah, I'm not a big Steve Cohen guy. Uh, I feel like he's sort of tapped into this culture of people think that he's going to rescue the Mets because he's funny on Twitter sometimes, um, which like fair. When I'm is all he, for when guys. Is even funny? Sorry. Oh, just like you know, he's, he's more, he's more energetic than he's got. <laughs> he's he's certainly more out-rowing. present. Yeah. Like I don't see the owner of the Atlanta Braves ever tweeting stuff like this. So he, he fits in with the New York personality. Well, I don't think he's done anything to uh, indicate that he's actually good for the Mets. Since, Since he got
2: there. Total side note, though. I would love if his Twitter <laughs> presence was just him ordering deli sandwiches. And that's what would be, to me, the New York personality that the Mets need. is just him. Like, um, ham on rye. <laughs> like, that's all he was tweeting. <laughs> is he tweet? tweeting, like, at delis? Is at, he right at, at deli. At deli. At deli, yeah. At
1: deli. Um,
0: but, yeah, Steve Cohen. Uh, I mean, I don't think it really hurts much for him to be outgoing on Twitter. Like, players will generally go to the place that pays them uh and the mets you play in new york they're a, i would say they're a bit of a legacy franchise they're certainly more <laughs> well known than most of the franchises out there so i don't think he's really harming the mets with his twitter outbursts i think he's more harming them with his general involvement like he seems like the type of guy who wants to be involved in all the baseball decisions and wants a gm who's a yes man despite having no real baseball knowledge so that i think is where he's harming the mets more than anything he does online uh but in terms of his online presence sure let's get let's get a couple retweets
1: in there why not yeah, yeah.
2: i, I don't, sorry I, I, well i just i was
1: just going to say that total side note would be a good name for your podcast.
2: <laughs> total side note. Um, I, I don't think that he's uh, causing them any harms in terms of getting on field talent for sure. I do question yeah like you kind of brought up his ability to bring in um, supplementary supplementary organizational pieces. And I think that that is maybe going to cost them in the long run. Like yeah. There are certain people who are the best in their respective positions who are choosing not to go to the Mets because why would you want that headache? Why would you want to deal with an owner who is going to air dirty laundry on Twitter and just kind of say whatever pops into their mind? You know, period placement, be damned. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have read his actual tweets, but that guy just doesn't know it's, <laughs> which <just> annoys <laughs> me. It's like space, period space. Sometimes it's just... No spaces in between. It doesn't matter. But
1: <laughs> total side note. Yeah, I think that, uh, Griffin, to your point, which I think was a very good one. Um,
2: Thank <laughs> so you. I, I Clem, feel like-
0: Clem finds the fact that I had a good point laughable. No, no, no. no. Like- I just
2: found it so egregious, I guess. <laughs> Oh, ignoring what was just said and jumping back to the good point. <laughs> I, I feel self-conscious when that the Griffin called
1: me out for implying that he didn't know that much about baseball, which he was very right on. That's that's more me that doesn't know that much about baseball.
0: You're goddamn right. No, I'm totally kidding. I just, I uh, want it to
1: be accurate for our listeners. You no, know, I want them to know us. You're absolutely right. And to your point, I think that maybe the person he, that Steve Cohen is really trying to emulate uh, is his fellow billionaire Steve, Steve Ballmer, uh, in, mm. uh, owner of the Clippers. But I think the big difference is, to, to your point, Griffin, that he is more of a Dolan than a Balmer. He seems like he has too. He he, he might care too much, is the real uh, meat of the matter. Like he does seem too involved in decisions, and maybe does not you know set up the best personnel around the team and whereas Balmer it feels like he is very active he is very like enthusiastic about the team but he leaves the basketball operations to the basketball operations people which Yeah as annoying as
0: Steve Balmer is he has set up one of the premier franchises in the NBA mm-hmm. in the LA Clippers uh tenants of crypto.com arena so yeah i mean Balmer sucks and i hate him but credit to him <laughs> he's in he, he that is a good Point in that difference between him and a Dolan or a Cohen.
1: Wow, we're really uh, telling each other that we're making good points today. Yeah. Well,
0: there was a lot of tension in the studio earlier <laughs> over all that baseball stuff. Hey, we Dolan we called Steve Cohen messy. I think we were on the verge of getting a little messy, so I'm glad glad we're back on good
1: terms. Dolan guys. out, we out the can good points. Against
2: Clem. What's that? I said Dolan out the good points. Um, and on <laughs> <laughs> wow,
1: you really had a bridge to the next topic. But I should we I take do think yes, we should take a break. I don't think we're going to get to our third segment, so we can save that for next week. That's but what i was gonna say we're gonna come back and talk some more baseball some (laughs) some some controversial baseball topics right after this on a high floor allow saline
0: all right shall we get a little controversial. Mm. Okay, oh wait, does voice. Clem want to do our voice? Yeah, Clem. Every week we come back to the voice. We say welcome back to high. Fl- we come back to the show from the break. We say welcome back to high floor, low ceiling
1: with a funny voice. We say high floor, low ceiling in a funny voice. So I'll yeah. say welcome back to, and then you'll just say high floor, low ceiling in a, a funny voice. Yeah. yeah, and welcome back to. You're gonna, Hi! you're gonna have to do that <laughs> again. To Burp Podcast. The Burp Cast. <laughs> the Burp cast. Guys, a lot of new
2: news and burping this <laughs> week. <weird. laughs> you, a lot to talk about. Anyone actually. else feel like that
0: new Coke Zero formula is really impacting the volume of your burps?
2: Oh, oh it's, it's a been a gassy person. week. A tumultuous, gastronomical. <laughs> <Damn it. laughs>
1: Right. Must have learned that from. Rigging.
0: If Chris was <laughs> editing, all of this would have stayed in, but I'm cutting all of
1: it. I um, only keep the funny stuff. And welcome back to
2: high floor, low ceiling. That's a car. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> that was good.
1: That was probably better than any of the ones that we've
0: done. Yeah, you've got a market in the if anyone needs a vocal representation of a car shifting.
2: Oh, you should ask my parents. I used to always do my best impression of the car anytime we were driving, and they would promptly share their opinions on it.
1: <laughs> I would love to
0: meet your parents. Almost
2: exclusively negative. Yeah. Yeah, what, what
0: kind of parenting do you think created what we have sitting mm-hmm. beside us here, Chris? That would be fascinating. A free-range style, I will yeah.
2: say that. <laughs> Laissez-faire. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie.
1: See, but I, I think it could be, I, could, I, I would think that it could go either way because, you know, I, I could see a more structured or maybe a, a repressive environment creating uh, the creature known as Clem. Or I could see like a, a, more, a more, what I might call a hippy-dippy approach to parenting uh, creating this. But I'm hearing it's more the latter, perhaps.
2: You know what? It's so hard for me to comment on my parenting (laughs) style (laughs) because I was just so, so not invited to the rooms and their approach to it. Yeah, you didn't really get to weigh in too much on it. Yeah. And I would have loved to. I had tons of opinions on how it could have gone both better and worse. But it's like everyone always says, parenting is more of an art than a science. And, uh, you know, as far as my parents went, they were, I think, pretty darn good artists. Wow. All right. Our deepest respect and uh, shout out to them, Mon Pa McConnell. Yeah, half of whom are still alive. I might add, (laughs) good for them. So shout out, my favorite parent alive. (laughs) Oh my god, that (laughs) is a reference. That's an allusion to
1: our pre-podcast
0: when we were going through Kurt Schilling's Twitter, which is truly. A journey I would not wish
1: on my worst enemy.
2: (laughs) The last bastion of journalism, I would argue. (laughs) Kurt Schilling's Twitter feed, which is also what he described as Breitbart News.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yes, you're alluding to the topic that we have before us uh, to close out this show. The Major League Baseball Hall of Fame ballot has been released. The voting. When does the voting happen, Clem? Do you know? I think Uh, it's ongoing
2: yeah i, I they mean, just sort of
1: get them in when they're well
2: it depends if you count mail-in votes. Um, <laughs> chilling doesn't Getting topical um i believe it's somewhere right around the end of the year the calendar year Gregorian. Okay. Um,
0: i do remember yeah i believe sometime in december sitting on a bus in ottawa watching to see if larry no i think it was in january watching to see if larry walker had made the cut watching so intently i missed my stop by like four stops Found out Larry Walker made the Hall of Fame looking up and going, I have no idea where the hell I am in the city of Ottawa. And you ran home. But Larry Walker's in the Hall of Fame. I ran home and screaming, he made it! He made it!
2: Ended up at the Canadian Tire Center.
1: <laughs> God, no, that's that's about another three hours on the bus. Wow. Um, Shout out to their public transit, I suppose. Sorry, Guy <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, I mean, um, my, I don't have as cool a story. I think I remember reading a Jay Jaffe uh, um, article on a f- fan graphs, uh, sometime between Christmas and New Year's last year. And that's Sammy remembering when he voted um, and mailed in his vote. So December 28-ish, I want to say.
1: Yeah. And I will always remember uh, when Griffin called it Hooper's Town in the first take of the monologue.
2: Yeah. That is that is <laughs> that that is I'll, what they should call the NBA Hall of Fame. That's what family. I was yeah, just going to say. The say way, why that is, is that, that, that not, is not the name insane. of the NBA <laughs> Hall of Fame? <laughs> so crazy to me that it took a a slip of Griffin Porter's tongue to come up with maybe the coolest part of uh, what could be good.
1: It should be a nickname at the very
2: least. Absolutely. Uh, Welcome uh, to
1: Hooperstone. Yeah. And I think we should actually be the ones to sort of start championing this, but the major league baseball hall of fame, always a fascinating discussion. Uh, I personally often have problems understanding how it works. There are different committees. You have to get a certain percentage of a vote. There are rules about when you can be on the ballot and things of that nature. I uh, think it
0: definitely gets more discussion than any other sports Hall of Fame just because of how like much baseball ties itself into history and mm-hmm. in the past. I feel like the Hall of Fame in baseball is more sacred than any other
1: sport yeah and certainly you know more stringent certainly than the nba oh uh, yeah
0: who'll just let anyone in if you played for six years you, <laughs> <you're>, congratulations <laughs>
1: welcome to the welcome to hooperstone that's your favorite aphorism is that anyone who played the they NBA let
0: tracy mcgrady for in.
2: six years how many years did tracy McGrady agent zero know no, Let's that's Gilbert, Gilbert Arenas. Ah, Arena. oh, sorry. I feel like I've heard
0: you made that make that mistake before. <laughs> what? I don't
2: know where I'm so you. obsessed with Tracy McGrady being agent zero. Um, Tra-
1: Tracy McGrady played for about 15 years. Was maybe the best player in the NBA for at least one year. What? Uh, had some issues winning playoff series, certainly. Which year? 2003. Feels like Tim Duncan. Eh, probably was. He won MVP that year, I believe.
2: How many years did he play for the Raptors?
1: uh like 3, three or, four. or 4 yeah wow Vince Carter's cousin famously yeah. if you did
0: not want to share the spotlight with his cousin well no cousin does
1: but they but was willing to form a super team. Do you know about this, Griffin? How there was a, a super team that almost happened uh, on the Orlando Magic of Tracy McGrady, Grant Hill, and Tim Duncan? I did not know that
0: Tim Duncan almost went to the Orlando Magic. Obviously, I knew that mm-hmm. Grant Hill and Chris Tracy McGrady the Magic, founded their, of course, yeah.
1: found their ways there. But Timmy D. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Especially, you know, obviously, Grant Hill, one of the great what-if stories in NBA mm, history absolutely. with his injuries.
2: Tim Duncan, also one of the more interesting coffee-related names in terms of having both Tim Hortons and mm. Duncan Donuts that's so true
0: Glenn. and i think that'll just about wrap up our <laughs> major league baseball hall of fame discussion
2: <laughs> um that's a hall of fame copy name though yeah. if fun for fun sure oh yeah well, <laughs> a
1: big who, time who would even who would be better like joe java
2: i suppose <laughs> joe java script <laughs> <laughs> that's nothing <laughs> um, this whole podcast has been nothing it's true <laughs> thanks uh, for having me on guys yeah Love having you here. Just yeah. getting out of the
1: house. <laughs> <laughs> but the big thing, I'd say the... <laughs> the they, big thing about
2: the Hall of Fame... Why
1: are you interrupting <laughs> me when I'm teeing up the segment? This is crazy.
0: Clem is here as an agent of the warm grill to torpedo our podcast. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Uh, two two big stories coming out of the Hall of Fame. I think you'll agree uh, the one being the, the final year for Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Curt Schilling, uh, and Sammy Sosa, and, and Sammy Sosa, if you want to uh, get involved in that argument, uh, and then uh, a first year crop that most notably includes David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez, who of course have their own uh, checkered pasts in terms of the, the the steroid conversation. So let's let's have this discussion. Maybe we can just get a preliminary look at where each of us lands on this topic in terms of, we'll we'll use Bonds as the the high watermark here because certainly as a player, there's absolutely no possible question that he would deserve in based on his statistical achievements. So where do you guys stand in terms of Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame? Uh, It's so, I go
0: back and forth
1: still to this day, 10 years later. If you had
0: asked me 10 years ago, actually, I probably wouldn't have gone back and forth. I would have said no don't let him in, but the idea of having a Hall of Fame without the greatest hitter who ever lived, at least in terms of what he did on the field, um, it's hard to argue against it. I mean, sure, everyone knows that he cheated. Technically, I don't think he's ever admitted it, and there's never been any proof, but so that's like, that's why you can't induct him and like mention it on the plaque or anything like what I said with Kurt Rose, Kurt Rose, Pete Rose. Um, So I don't know, it's tough. I still go back and forth to this day, you don't, but at the end of the day they played at the time that they played against the competition that they played <laughs> just like everyone else did in the hall of fame that, but that's what i'm saying like they there are definitely guys in the hall of fame right now who used to
1: yes at. i think that is the big that's the and biggest, there will be more yes i mean you look at david ortiz and alex rodriguez who i do think both of those guys will get in who arguably have a, a stronger case against them than even Bonds does in terms of you know actually having been cited or actually like dinged for it in terms of Rodriguez who will probably make him to the Hall of Fame mostly because it seems like people it just like public opinion has eroded enough and people like those guys enough that they're going to let it happen. Ortiz I think for sure will get in. I'm still not sure if
0: A-Rod will get in at least this year. Yeah
2: I don't think he's necessarily a first ballot Hall of Famer just because of public opinion. I think it's just I don't think he's made a strong case for himself. Um, most recent exploits either just people are just not of that guy whether or not you want to call him A-Rod or what I believe the athletic called him this morning is his new version of himself as being Alex. Yes I saw that <laughs> article as well which it
1: was titled <laughs> How A Rod mm-hmm. became
2: Alex. <laughs> um, I think it's always tricky, like because the way you framed the question was let's get let's take everyone's temperature in terms of Barry Bonds. But I think it's hard to talk about the Hall of Fame on a case by case basis. I think uh, you kind of or base by base
1: cases. Base by base cases <laughs> for baseball. Mm-hmm. And
2: what you have to kind of do is I think create a structure and definitions as to number one what you want what you think the Hall of Fame is for, which I think a lot of people have a lot trickier time kind of identifying than they think they necessarily do when they first set out on that endeavor. Not that I think that there's a huge sample size of people who have set out on that specific endeavor. But, um, and then number two, you know, do would would that definition carry from that point on forward or would you retroactively apply it? <laughs> so to answer your question about Barry Bonds... <laughs> um.
1: Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I think, I think that's the big thing for me is just that the standards of application feel so uneven and feel so based. And, you know, you, you talked about the idea of like it not being a case-by-case basis. But at the same time, it feels as though individual players have sort of had this black mark on them that can just never be scrubbed off. And I think Bonds, you know, like Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, Clemens. Yeah, those are sort of the big four, I think. Yeah. And it's like, you know, obviously, like, you know, and I think Bonds has some interesting cases, you know, in favor of his Hall of Fameness, like the idea that he probably would be a Hall of Famer without using steroids and things like that, which, you know, maybe. You Clemens too, in. I think. Yeah. Hey, you could call him Roger Clemency if he
2: does get in. Absolutely. Mercy is, you know, something we should all aspire to. Yeah, Mercy Among the Children. You ever read that book? No. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, i have read clemency amongst children <laughs> which is just a book about me growing up
1: <laughs> that would actually be good um but yeah it feels like certain guys have just gotten this mark Any anyway, with bonds like part of it i think is just like was known to be an asshole and he was known to like not be liked by writers and so like it does feel like there are just certain players who people have decided that they will take this hardline stance on and but if you you know if you did retroactively apply that same level of judgment to other players in the Hall of Fame, I think that that would, you know, it, some guys might end up getting removed.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, look at one of the greatest players of all time and Ty Cobb. Like, there are terrible, terrible people hanging in the Hall of Fame. and uh, Hanging in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> that's, that's another one of Chris's horror movies. In- interesting way to put it. Their plaques are hanging in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> right. If didn't you we, need me
1: to be exactly specific. Didn't we talk about this last week as well? Yeah, we, hu- we accidentally hung James ra- Reimer in the rafters <laughs> of the Scotiabank <laughs>
0: Arena. I got to start being more specific when I talk about things hanging. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the whole morality clause is an interesting... It is supposed to be part of what writers take into account. Like that's what the Hall of Fame instructs them on. You have to represent the game in the best way. But there are plenty and plenty and plenty of guys in there who would fail that morality clause 20 times over. So I don't... It does seem to be subjected to a different standard for these two guys, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens.
2: Absolutely. I mean, there's also um, an argument though that I should say an argument. It is ambiguous the the way that those words are structured. Not to mention the implementation of the morality clause, which has been around since sometime in the 40s, is kind of interesting because it wasn't really cited as being something, at least in terms of my baseball readings, um, as being something that people were taking into consideration prior to the steroid era. It was all of a sudden the way that these things often happen in um, legal department law it's like oh hey here are three words that we can actually use as an excuse to no longer let these people who would otherwise be just get into this thing even though that those three words haven't been applied to people uh up to this point
1: yeah shout out to insurance companies
2: yeah big shout out (laughs) love those
1: guys (laughs) Love those guys
2: sharing us money yeah i mean
0: i think there's a there's an unending discussion to be had in regards of barry bonds and roger clemens (coughs) but i want to put a gun to your guys's head if you <laughs> seeing a morality clause I want to put a gun to your head and hang you in the rafters yeah because you two have really pissed me off this episode no yeah, i'm kidding motto. um no you let's play a game you're a baseball <laughs> let's play a game <laughs> will you we are
1: going off the rails.
0: if you're let's say you're a baseball writer you got the ballot in front of you just yes or no what the <laughs> hell did i do Jay's this drill? time <laughs> Um, yeah. You got the ballot in front of you. Yes or no? Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. You can say yes to one and no to the other because apparently they do have slightly sure, different vote want, yeah. totals <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> Someone out there felt that Barry Bonds was deserving, but Roger Clemens wasn't.
2: Somehow. I do think that the 0.2% discrepancy between the two is pretty interesting. It's actually 0.2. Sorry. I, Didn't I, I, say I point think he two? Said, point two. Oh, I I said point two. Cut that out. Cut that out.
0: Yeah. No, we're leaving that in. <laughs> That's going to be the start of the podcast yeah. now. <laughs>
2: i believe it's 0.2 sure i guess i, <laughs> you, you, I didn't. yeah you, you implied yeah. the zero what point two what? i don't know what you're talking about could be anything um, anyway, i'm sorry this, was, this was supposed two. to be a quick end
0: to the segment
2: oh yeah so barry bonds <laughs> and roger clemens um okay i want to send out a quick qualification too because sorry this there is this weird thing that i think a lot of baseball writers kind of uh, i don't know they they bring up in kind of uh like it's a classic baseball writer talk about the story of baseball and that's what the Hall of Fame is for. I do think it's weird to not include arguably the most productive hitter of all time in the Hall of Fame. What is the Hall of Fame trying to accomplish? Will there still be history books written about Barry Bonds and other ways that you can celebrate him without necessarily putting a plaque up in a building that we necessarily consider the Church of Baseball, if you will? Um, Absolutely. There are tons of ways, you know, in a much more meaning and deeper way, exploring how we interact with these people that accomplish things that we have arbitrarily decided as amazing accomplishments. Um, And those places, I think, are much better places to interact with these uh, less savory characters. I'm not saying that cheating at baseball is necessarily the worst thing in the world, but there is something to be said about when it interacts with celebrating them as baseball players. So for that reason, I guess I'm out. On Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens,
1: wow, very well said. Um, I think that sort of your point and the idea that like there there are you know places to interact, as you put it, uh, with these legacies. That was <laughs> not a negative. Don't worry. Uh, that that are better for these players. I think maybe my perspective on it is more like in my mind it's like. The Hall of Fame should aspire to be the place where you can do that to some extent, like where you can sort of interact with players that have challenging legacies and still recognize the idea that like they are important to the history and the fabric of baseball. Uh, and I, <laughs> I, do, I will call on you in one moment, sir. Uh, and so to, to that end, I, I've always been a bonds person i don't really you know i'm not as up on clemens but from everything that i understand about his career i don't see why i wouldn't be in on clemens as well but then it's also like when i you know you didn't ask about him griffin but kurt schilling who like i'm just like this guy sucks and i don't like him therefore i'm happy to not have him in the hall of fame like maybe that's something that i need to consider within myself and whether i have these uh these biases uh that conflict with my so-called morals. Yeah,
2: okay, a couple things on that. I I think, number one, I think this is a really good point about being the place where you do interact with those legacies. My, I don't even know if there's a counter-argument, is I just don't know if those places are necessarily where you actually get to interact with them to the depth that I think that they deserve. If you are going to talk about someone like Barry Bonds, who not only was arguably, you know, did a disservice to baseball in some ways, in other ways a great service, um, but it was also a less ser- savory person off the field mm-hmm. um, in some pretty serious way. Uh, and then you bringing up Kurt Schilling, another aspect of it is and this also you have to take into consideration shows up to the ceremony. But one of them would be literally platforming a person who has or potentially has uh, political aspiration. Do you want to literally give that person a microphone uh, for whatever 15 minutes in front of a national audience at that point? I mean, not that it's a national <laughs> thing that people are watching, but a lot no. of people watch those speeches. There's the national and the American. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it is
0: It is the question of the Hall of Fame is a place, as you said, Clem, to, I think, celebrate the story of baseball, a very storied history. And do you want these people who, in one way or another, have I think you're right to say have done a disservice to the game. They tainted the game. The years that they were there, sure, Bud Selig turned a blind eye and maybe even encouraged them. And uh, but they made the decision. They, they, no one forced them to take steroids. So they willingly tainted the game that the Hall of Fame is supposed to celebrate. Do you want them to be a part of that? And it's. A question without an obvious answer, and obviously there as we've just demonstrated, there's a whole discussion to be had and many more. But in the end, I think if you look at a Baseball Hall of Fame, I, over the years, have found myself leaning more and more towards, based on who is already in there and the standard that they have set, I think it should be an on-the-field thing. I... I, I don't want to say that I'm condoning the actions of Barry Bonds or Curt Schilling off the field. And it does make it very hard to celebrate them in that way. But if we're talking about baseball, I think the discussion in the end should be about baseball. And I can't imagine a Baseball Hall of Fame without, like we said, maybe the best hitter and best pitcher to ever live in it so it seems like if if you don't have them in it then what are we doing here
2: what's the Uh, yeah and i think that that's the best question is if there is a hall of fame without the best hitter and one of the best pitchers of all time then what what are we really trying to do here which is a question i ask myself every single time i watch a baseball game and (laughs) also just as an endeavor talking about the hall of fame is just one of those things where you inevitably get to what is the point one thing that I would say to your like, on-field performance, it's like, well, the steroids. Yes, oh, like, yes and that's I think true. It's not like a thing. It's like, well, sure, I guess he wasn't literally walking around or taking one of <laughs> with the needle in his arm. <laughs> on-field performance is affected by steroids, and yes. if that's the position you're going to cite, I think that that's something that's worthy of consideration too. I think the most interesting thing to take into consideration is the culture surrounding the steroids and whether or not that gives them, a, not a pass, but alleviates oh, yeah. them of some of that very difficult-to-scrub-off arc. Like the fact that the league
0: knew, like the people knew at the time, but they still gave Barry Bonds seven MVPs. They still gave Roger Clemens seven Cy Youngs. And admittedly, some of those came before the use. Some of them came before it was public knowledge. But baseball let these guys go without ever finding a positive test, without ever suspending them. There's nothing in the documented history that ever says that they did it even though everyone knows technically there's no grounds and that's where the writers have decided every writer on their own has decided whether or not they think that that's enough but I just think that in the end you've got if we're looking at this purely legally there's no actual standing to hold them out and that's just writers taking matters into their own yeah
2: which I'm pro um yeah me too (laughs) I I think that the I think that the writer voting
0: system is the best system but I just think that um, in terms of whether like you it's almost like you made your bed, you let these guys continue, and you celebrated them at the time. And now you can't look back and say, wait, they were wrong, and now we found out, and we don't want anything to do with them. You made your bed as Major League Baseball and as the people covering it, and now you have to lie in it.
2: Yeah, and I think a uh, part of the problem is I have this weird, like, fantastical idea of what it is to— visit Cooperstown and that people will go out to lunch after visiting it in the morning and talk about all the people that weren't in there and engage in those le- legacies in a deep and meaningful way and engage in them based off of you know entire books that have been written about these characters but that isn't necessarily the case and I think that that's all argu- argument against what I opposed. it's like hey this is like what Chris said is the time that you do talk about these people and what isn't on their plaques because you can only you know, I don't know. What do they use? A hammer to etch that stuff? It's crazy difficult to write on those things. It's got to be a it's just, kind of system. It's just like a big, I don't know. It's super hard metal, Super hard mess. Super hard metal. So it's hard to do. And so like, you can't put too many words in, not to like mention the incubus. amount of. So, so
0: your concern is like the amount of labor into the plaque? Absolutely. That's a huge part <laughs> of the issue. Yeah, you're, and, pr- you're very pro worker. Okay.
2: Yeah. He's <laughs> very <and I'm not, laughs> pragmatic. I'm not anti job, but the realistic situation is that like you can't add. One million, you can't write a book with that and those hammers.
0: If, if they do get in, I don't think you can mention it on the plaque. I don't think you have any grounds for that because then that opens up such a can of worms where if it was someone like, like Alex Rodriguez who was caught and tested positive and suspended for it, then sure, mention that on the plaque. But for guys like these who never were officially punished by Major League Baseball, then I don't think you can get into that on their Hall of Fame plaque.
2: Would you put on Kurt Schilling's plaque 38 studios filed for bankruptcy in 2012?
1: Oh, are we going to talk about Kingdom's Amelior <laughs> Reckoning? because i do have content <laughs> i can talk about kingdoms of amalur reckoning would you talk about you are both speaking would you talk gibberish about, to would me would you right talk now. about i have no clue what you know you're about talking Kurt about Schilling's failed video game studio no i don't think i do that was like i believe a, like a co-partnership with like the state of massachusetts or something with like, Rhode, or Rhode island,
0: island. yeah now this it, is it, sounding
2: it was, a bit more familiar shilling founds a video game called green monster games then changes it to 38 studios. I think there was like a, he couldn't call it Green Monster. Yeah, I would imagine. That's happened. Yeah, and then in 2010, that's four years after he founds it, he moves it from the state of Massachusetts to Rhode Island. And it was based on a deal that he had struck with the state government that included, I think, a $75 million grant. Oh
1: my God. Yeah, it was. Why
2: it's did like, they think it's that like Kurt Marvel Schilling would
0: make
1: good video games? Well, by all accounts, Kingdoms of Amalur: Reckoning is a pretty solid game, from what I've heard.
2: Well, it's got a great name, one that everyone remembers <laughs> the first time they've heard it, and I could for sure say back to you right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, everyone can spell Amalur. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, one last thing: Would you put uh, that he sold his bloody sock from the 2004 World Series for ninety two thousand six hundred and thirteen dollars? Would you put that on there? I I, I probably would. You just got to
0: think about how (laughs) long that's going to take to carve into the
1: metal, that whole number. They should just have metal iPads there.
2: (laughs) That would be a good idea. With digital, digital
1: plaques um we have already run way over time yes we but have i want to talk about one little thing and we can sort of spin this off into a discussion about these players but uh we sort- I-, I talked a little bit about the idea of like this black mark like some people have been chosen and the baseball writers have sort of just pointed at them and said you're going to be one of the people that we don't put in the hall of fame and that'll show you and like that's that, like, you're one of the guys. Do you think that there's any chance, and this is uh, this is not my original thought, this is something I was reading from Jason Stark uh, earlier yesterday, I believe, but uh, do you think that the incoming class of Ortiz and A-Rod, do you think that there are people who will sort of have some awareness of that cognitive dissonance, that, like, there are just players who have sort of arbitrarily been given this mark and been blacklisted to some extent? Do you think that they, there will be people who say, well, if I'm going to vote for Ortiz... There's no reason why I shouldn't be voting for Bonds and Clemens, and that will in any way help their candidates.
0: I do think that they're going to get a bigger boost year, nine year to 10 year than they have like seven to eight, for example, both because of that. Yeah. The fact that Arod and David Ortiz, who are sort of part of this next generation of steroid users, if you will, <laughs> are coming up and Degrassi. Yeah. People are going to vote. I imagine David Ortiz will be a first ballot Hall of Famer and It'll be tough for people to justify, excuse me. I imagine that David Ortiz will be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I think it should be tough for people to uh, justify voting for him but not for Bonds and Clemens. So I think that'll be a big boost. And also I think the fact that this is their final year on the ballot will result in a lot more writers than normally would change their minds, changing their minds and thinking, okay, this is my last chance. If I don't do this, these guys will never be in the Hall of Fame until a Players Committee puts them in in 20 years, which will for sure happen if they don't get this year. And then we'll get to have this discussion all over again. Yeah,
2: I mean, well, number one, I don't think that David Ortiz is a first ballot. Um, you don't think he'll get in this year? I, I mean, okay, there's a difference between me considering someone to be a first ballot Hall of Famer and whether or not they might... getting get, in the Hall of Fame on their it, first, the, first ballot. Uh, on their first ballot. Uh, the difference just being, like, I, I don't think that my perspective on his career is the same as a lot of people that might be voting for them. I, that I, I, don't, I don't know think if that I, the
0: ballot thing matters. Like people like to like punish guys by leaving them off the by saying you can't be a first ballot hall of famer. I think that's all hokey.
2: Well, there's I mean there's a couple trains of thought on that where it's like I mean sometimes you might not be punishing a person for leaving them off of your ballot, but rather you just want different people on yeah, the no. ballot. But I mean, I I like I I'm not fully convinced on David. This is way off topic of what uh, Chris Interestingly brought up, but I'm just not. I just want a, a total side note. Don't want to. Uh, I, I, I'm not fully convinced Davis's Hall of Fame case. He won a lot of chips, which is great. Is and it because
0: he was mostly a DH? Is that
2: part of it? Yeah, and he put up, I think, very very good numbers for his position, but not the numbers that I want to see from a person who didn't play
0: the field. Yeah, I, it's fair. And I mean, the guy was a ten-time All Star, but he never won an MVP. Did finish second one time, but there is the 541, and then there's also the cult of personality around David Ortiz. He played for the Boston Red Sox. He played in a big market. I definitely think that he'll get in, but yeah, maybe it's worth... Of more discussion, like you say, than some people who just think that he's a no questions asked.
2: I just think it's crazy. I, I mean, I don't think it's crazy that he's a slam dunk, but it's like I'm a little surprised that there isn't some more, like some a little bit of pushback on his career. Back to Chris' point. I don't well, think point. he'll
1: clear like 95, percent though. Like no, I think no, he'll no. get in with like 88. I think
2: sort of I think he'll be I'm I think he'll be like low 80s. But yeah. And um,
1: if I if I could just interject from, I think he's more of a home run than a slam dunk.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> That's an interesting point.
1: 541 of them.
2: Um. But yeah, I I am curious. to See the way that writers moving forward interact with people that have this black mark. I mean, I've heard people make arguments about A-Rod's being on the ballot, being kind of one of those things where it's like, well, he did serve a suspension and therefore has paid his dues. There's that sort of, and it'd be interesting to see if like if Bonds or Clemens had a few more years on the ballot, would there be this kind of shift in terms of, well, they've endured the public humiliation.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, they've kind of served nine year suspension. Yeah, Yeah.
2: (laughs) of like, and not to mention, there's an argument to be made also that Bonds served an unofficial suspension by way of collusion in terms of not being able to resign with right. any team like people weren't taking bonds at a league minimum salary after his final contract was up. that is insane <laughs> and is something that should be talked about a little bit more <laughs> um but so i don't know like and does punishment out can punishment outside of not being a, inducted into the hall of fame exist with steroids i think that there's Something to be said about that, absolutely. Um, whether or not it can fit on a plaque is the problem. Whether or not the goal of punishment
1: is retribution or rehabilitation.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think in
1: this case it's pretty clearly retribution. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be a good name for a Kingdoms of Amalur sequel. I can't wait. <laughs> retribution. Uh, yes, precisely. Uh, but we have gone. Way over time, we're having yeah. too much fun. We talked for forty-five minutes before the show started. Come, uh, I just wanted to get your takes on a couple of oh players. Oh my god! I just, I just wanted, I just wanted a thumbs up or thumbs down. I thought for and sure you were going to finish the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I want a thumbs up or thumbs down on uh, on a few guys. I mean, we didn't talk about Manny Ramirez uh, uh, in this sort of overarching discussion, but do you have any Manny thoughts?
2: I mean, I think he's in if you put Clemens in. And right.
1: Okay, uh, a couple of first timers: uh, Mark Teixeira. I was a little confused. You're already yeah, flashing the thumbs down. Thumbs down. I just, he is the one who I feel like gets brought up maybe the most, you know, outside of Ortiz and A-Rod as the guy who has a shot. And I was sort of looking at his numbers and I was like, what is the basis here? That, like he was a good defensive first baseman? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The basis and- is that there aren't that many
0: guys coming into the ballot who are going a warrant serious contribution and people
1: want more names to talk about.
2: It is a really bad in terms of first time. I mean, shout out to Prince Fielder. So shout to out to like Justin Morneau.
1: Didn't Prince Fielder have a better career than Mark Teixeira, kind of, or is it more a longevity thing with Teixeira? No, I, Yeah, I
0: think he Prince. if Prince had been able to stay healthy, he might have been able to put together a better he career. Had a much bigger yeah. peak, right? right.
2: Um, Same with Morneau. I'd Ryan say. Howard as well was... Like, I mean, not of Hall of Fame consideration necessarily, but had just an awesome peak and just crushed the ball and was one of those, like, I think a lot of first basemen get into this category that is, like, they get into the uh, kind of foyer of the Hall of Fame because they were really good at hitting the ball really hard and really far, but weren't necessarily great at other aspects of the game, which is included just, like, getting on base a lot, hitting the ball all over the field, which doesn't necessarily have to be an aspect of your game, but, like, Another aspect of your game in conjunction with hitting the ball really far far and hard is something that I think is something that I weigh quite heavily when I'm looking at a player. Right. And,
1: you know, just because we're talking about players who, you know, had brief but very high peaks, you feel, Clem, like a real Tim Lincecum guy. Do you have any Tim yeah, Lincecum feelings? Talk about feelings? high peak.
2: Yeah. Talk I mean, about
1: high ceiling. Yeah. I <laughs> low l- floor.
2: He was, I mean, this word gets thrown around so much when it comes to like pitchers that are like him, but I think it was like the first time. He's my favorite person to describe as electric. Like he is like the epitome of electric. Like that dude is just, was so much fun to watch growing up. Really just, especially as a person that's a little bit shorter too. like, especially as far as like athletes go, like he was so awesome to see just like being able to put his entire body into a thing um, and like perform at this very high level. Um, I love his career. It's not one that meets the standards of what the Hall of Fame aims for.
0: No, he didn't play for long enough. He he only played for 10 years and was only good for four of them.
2: <laughs> like, yeah, well, but I mean, that's the funny thing about it is it's like, yeah, he only played for 10 years, but he wasn't just good for those four years. He was amazing yes, for those yes. four years. And I know that I'm not trying to say that you were saying something different. It's like, but that is what is so wi- like, that is something that I think is so interesting. I love his career I mean, obviously, it's, like, for the sake of him as a person, I wish that it was, like, he was great for 10 years and played for 15 or 20, but obviously that didn't happen. I think as a person that's just interested in uh, the different ways that a career can kind of take shape, I think that Tim Lincecum is such an awesome character in the quote-unquote story of baseball, which is also why I never truly, and I, people have tried to identify what it means to be the story of baseball. (laughs) I have never understood the term. I don't, there are so many stories. I don't know, like, what it means to, like, crunch them down into this story that meets this, like, this, like, very relatively strict definition of, like, what has to the, you have to get into that building, the yeah. It'd be, a, be but, a pretty
1: meandering story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like I, I
2: don't know. It's like I have no. I just don't know what that. I don't know what that means. But um, yeah, I think that Tim linsicum is somebody that. If I were writing a story on baseball... It would
1: maybe just be about him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he would come up. I feel like he would come up as this, like, hey, oh, yeah. this is a... this For is a those weird, Giants teams that... This is a weird guy. This is a... Just, like, this lightning bolt. And it's, like, I'm not saying the chapter would be long, but mm. it would be present, and it wow. would be, you know, maybe the like I would, like, talk to the publisher. Oh, that
1: was a... What a great turn of phrase, Clem. Uh, Electric? No, the thing you just said about the chapter and stuff. That was good. Oh. Um, we always love to hear from you, Clem. We always love having you on the show. I'm so happy you got in front of a microphone this time. <laughs> Griffin, real quick, do you have any guys that you wanted to shout out that we haven't talked about? Uh, Clem dropped some Mark Burley takes on us before the Yeah, big started. shout out
0: to the Burr Dog. Um, the <laughs> Burger would have been better than Burr Dog. Big shout out to Mark Berger. Uh, Gary Sheffield is one that intrigues me. Did hit that 500 home run Does number. kind of
1: sound like a midfielder for
0: Arsenal in the <laughs> 1980s. Yep. Uh, Sheffield, I believe, is the name of an English soccer club. Sheffield so Wednesday. True. Uh and then yeah, that's the main one that I'm intrigued by. Only at forty percent after eight years, despite hitting that five hundred home run threshold with a two ninety two career batting average. That's a little puzzling to me. But aside from that,
2: uh yeah, vote bonds, vote Clemens. Justin Morneau, Canadian on the ballot. MVP. It's not something that necessarily matters to a lot of people, but is something
1: to make yeah, we know. are a Canadian podcast except for our Midwest listeners. Our Happy Thanksgiving. Shout out to the
2: seven percent.
1: <laughs> we are Uh, but that is definitely going to do it for today's episode. We went all over. We went crazy. We hope that you stayed with us. We appreciate you having, uh, inviting us into your homes and into your ears.
0: Is this the first time all three aspects of the podcast have been about the same sport?
1: It might be the first time we did just a full on, uh well i don't remember anyways i think it is yeah we've definitely had a couple where like we've done like two segments yeah but i think the rant was at least different it's true then the rant was even connected to the later topic which is a whole new thing for us so we hope that you enjoyed sticking with us through that very interesting discussion i think probably if you take out the best 10 minutes of that you would have something (laughs) really good maybe that's what i'll do in editing i'll just put out (laughs) a 10 minute pod real short uh, but thanks so much, Clem, for joining us. As I alluded to, you are the host of the Warm Grill podcast. Uh, you have writing that has appeared on Jay's Journal. Everyone should check that out. Uh, you are one of my favorite Twitter followers. Uh, you, are, you're an excellent <laughs> are you, you are you are an excellent Twitter follower. Are you also someone that you enjoy to follow? You
0: are a supportive... If you if you are lucky yeah. enough to be followed by Clem on liker. Twitter, he's a great liker and commenter for
1: sure. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, Griffin described you yesterday as one of the great group chatters, which I would heartily uh, echo. Uh, so, if people aren't in following you, they can follow you at Clem ClemConnell, which is C L E M as in uh, Martha, double C, double N, double L. Highly,
0: highly recommend.
1: Yeah, great follow. Some just just if you scroll through, you're gonna have a good time. Road to two hundred. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag
2: 200 i am trying to get 200 followers by the end of 2024 to make my dream a reality <laughs> by clicking that follow button. Uh,
1: i think you will get at least one follower of this i feel confident if you're listening to this and like you just sort of let that brush over you just take a second thought about it have a look at the twitter see if you like what it's you see it's really really good it is quite good It's so i don't good. stay
2: on baseball all the time it's mostly baseball but it There's is mostly baseball.
1: baseball. speaking of twitter You can follow Griffin at Griffin Porter 97. You can follow myself at C House and Jan. That's the word chow, the word son, like a person's child. Uh, Shout out to my nephew, Caspian, by the way. Yeah, Big shout shout out out to the little nibbling. Um, (sighs) A a gender
0: neutral term that Chris refuses to
1: use. (laughs) Griffin was all over my Instagram post. That's a whole thing that we'll get into on a on an episode of Total Sidebar, <laughs> or what is total, it? Total, total side, side note. Side total,
2: note. Total side note.
0: No, but honestly, a big shout out to Little Caspian. Very mm-hmm. cute baby. Very happy for Chris, you, and your whole family.
1: Thank you. Um, and I'm sure you can follow him on Twitter as well. <laughs> uh, but for now, we really must depart. Until <laughs> next time, keep your floors high, keep your ceilings low, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: Oh my <laughs> God.